Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Rise, Renew Your Spirit of Excellence with your host Anze. So today I want to talk about a topic that has been on my mind for a little bit and it is titled Freedom from Mental Slavery. Now when the word slavery is mentioned, I believe everyone or most people are going to think black people. Today, this is going to be different. The freedom from mental slavery that I'm going to talk about is not freedom from mental slavery for black people. Black people are very fine. Black people are very free. They can take the time to heal mentally, emotionally, and uh, they are very resilient. Black people are very, very resilient. They are... The only people I know, maybe because I'm black, that can rise like a phoenix out of the ashes no matter what is done to them. So I will say that black people are very fine and they're very free. Now, the person, I would say that the real people that need to uh, be free from mental slavery is the white man. Or... I don't want to identify Caucasian people because not all white people have mental slavery. But when I say the white man, I'm talking about when the term white was created and it included a few people who were decent, a few white folks that are decent enough to not enslave, but they enjoy the privilege of being white. So... Black people do not need freedom from mental slavery. White man does. And (laughs) any other human that thinks of themselves better or superior to another, you must really be suffering a great deal on the inside to even be able to think, to just be able to think that somebody is lesser of a human being than you are. You must really have a very hard time. You must be dealing with something really serious on the inside to actually see another human being as inferior to you. And worse, you must be very ignorant enough to act on it and think that it will last for an eternity. Now that is what mental slavery is all about because I believe that (laughs) you must be suffering a great deal on the inside to want to inflict pain on another person in that way for ages. So that is where the real freedom should be coming from. The real freedom from mental slavery has to start not with black people, but with white folks and the ones that are the originator of slavery. If you look at Britain, they've colonized so many countries and called it um, colonies or you may call it, um, or uh, they call it, uh, what do they call those? Commonwealth. Now it's Commonwealth because reality is some decency came into the picture. And if you look at um, other European countries like Belgium, they're all over the place in Congo. 
Why? They're digging up mines in Congo and their history of black people is killing them, maiming them, cutting their foot, cutting their hands of children and mothers and fathers. You must be sick on the inside to think that the person that you're maiming is the slave. You are the slave of your own humanity. To think that if you oppress another person and you treat them like less of a human being, they will do what you ask them to do and that will last a lifetime. You must be sick, really sick. So black people do not need freedom from mental slavery or freedom from any kind of slavery. Black people were enslaved. They were free people that were enslaved. How many countries in Africa right now are out of a pulse because Af- because some French countries, especially France, has their finger on them? So many. And the governments run according to the demands of these countries. But, yeah, they would say that it's the black people that need freedom. We'll take a break. Welcome back. So we were talking earlier about freedom from mental slavery. And we were uh, speaking on some countries that were enslaved by white people. And if we continue to look at the aboriginals in Australia, when you go to Australia today, you don't see the face of the indigents of that country. Some white man got there and quote-unquote discovered the place. And slowly, these people were treated like less of a human being. And they pushed and pushed, and all of a sudden, they live in the outskirts of that country. And very few of them exist because a majority of them were killed, eliminated, I would say over 90% of a population eliminated because somebody thought they were not worthy of being human beings. Native Americans are spotted in the United States, this beloved country. And so many other places where if you go to, the indigents of that place are not seen. And if you track it, It points to some white folk who got there and thought, well, look here, this is a beautiful place that I could own. Let me just run with my horse until it gets tired. And as far as I can go, that's what I'll take. Kill them all. Like Farrah said, kill them all. And you want to tell me that it is the black people that need freedom from mental slavery. What must be going on in the head of a human to think that somebody needs to be destroyed for them to live comfortably? There must be some serious disturbance upstairs 
And that mental issue doesn't exist with the oppressed. It is essentially with the oppressor. They, they would tell you that black people are inferior. If you go into the inner cities, look at the youth. There's black and black crimes. There's black men that are irresponsible. They're not good dads. They're all in prison. They do drugs. They're not good husbands. They're not good leaders. That's the narrative that the person that enslaves has created so that the black man will feel inferior. And it worked for a time. But again, like I said, like a phoenix out of the ashes, they rise resilient, strong, and better than they were before they were taken as slaves. Before they were taken and enslaved. But if you go into the same inner cities, what do they have? What do these youths have as the only economic opportunity that's presented to them? Drugs, guns, and sex. If that's what you predominantly present to these people and you make sure that they have it in excess and these kids know all I need to do is sell some drugs and not get caught so my mom can pay her house. My mom who went to school probably and doesn't have a job or my mom who doesn't know how to read or write but needs to put a roof over our heads. If that's all I need to do, I'll do it so that I can stay away from school. And then you have a policing system that if they get caught for a minor situation like possessing a drug, they go to jail for more than 20 to 25 or however many years that the judge decides that they want to put on them. And no bail. Because even if they put bail for 10000 the mother probably cannot still afford it. And they fill up the prison system. And again, another white man is filling his pocket and putting paintings up on paintings and beautiful ornaments in his house with money coming from a system that is made by them oppressing another person. And that, you think, is supposed to be the one, the black man you think is the one that's supposed to be the slave. I highly doubt it. If you go into these same inner cities, the women try so hard to work. They do all kinds of jobs. They will, if there are no jobs, they will create one. What do they do? If they try to have a family, they snatch their fathers and their husbands away from them and their children. And these women get frustrated and angry, and you point a finger and look at that angry black woman. This woman still rises like a phoenix out of the ashes. And you still try so hard to keep them down with a system that is created to do just that. And you call yourself superior. How do you leave? How? If this same economy that you've created for black people to survive is not something that you can live in and you have enough money that you can donate to countries to feed the children, to help the African kids, to feed the kids in Indonesia, let's go to the poor countries. And in your own country, you 
can't go into the inner cities to say, how can I help? How can we build better schools for you? How can we make sure your children have libraries where they can read? How can we try to make sure that your men and your husbands and your children, your youths, don't go to jail? You don't do that. But you're safe in your home. And that's okay. And that's fine. But yet it's the black person that needs freedom from mental slavery. I don't think so. If you remove education, you remove jobs, you redline them with housing. They can't buy houses in a certain neighborhood because they're not qualified, because they're blacks, they're inferior, or they're brown, whatever you name them. You give them a title. (laughs) You give them uh, um, a perception of who they are or who you want them to think they are. And some of them believe it. But a few of them rise out of that and make something out of themselves. They crawl out of that. Make something out of themselves. Go into the big city. Try to use any part of the law that they can get They can get to make a life out of themselves. And you find one time, they're going into their building. Maybe something nice that they thought, well, I've got this for myself. I made some kind of success whatever you want to call it. And they try to get into a building with security. And there you go. Another white woman standing at the door. Or another white man asking, how did you afford this? Profiling. They're driving a nice car. And the police pull them over. How did you get that car? It's not in the same question they're asking. License and registration, please. And then they make up some kind of crime. Or something comes up, and before you know it, they're either dead or in jail. They're not going back home to their families. But yet, it's the black people that need freedom from mental slavery. These same black people are the ones that you actually are scared of. You say that you're scared of. They get into the same elevator with white women. They grab on their purse. It's the same black person that you beat and spat on and screamed at and pushed with your kids on the streets, doing it with your kids. And you say that you're scared of them. What makes you scared of the same person that you have oppressed? The same person that you call inferior, the same black man that you call stupid and dumb, the same black man that you use all kinds of ugly verbs to describe them. But you're scared of them, so much so that you call the police to protect you or you grab on your purse or you walk on the other side of the street when you see them. Yet, it's the black man that needs freedom from mental slavery. I don't think so. If we want to talk about the case of a country, you go into their home in Africa or wherever they lived. You kidnap them. You torture them. You tie them in chains. You beat them. You enslave them. You rape them. You rape their women. You rape their children. You drown them. You hang them. 
you burn them and burn them alive. But then they still rise like a phoenix out of the ashes and make something out of themselves. And when some white man who has some decency decides to change the laws and change the system a little bit to give them a little freedom to move around. You lie about them. You make up stories about them. You're rude to them. You treat them unfairly. You forge information about them. You fight them. You frame them. Put them in prison. But yet they are the ones that need freedom from mental slavery. How is it that the one that does all of these things is not crazy to keep going and going and trying to kill and to treat someone, another human being as inferior and you call them a slave and they keep rising and it doesn't do anything to you to think that you are the slave in your mind to think another person is inferior to you. And that not being enough, if they ask for a little bit of freedom to go to school, to get a job, to be leaders, to be fathers, to be mothers, you riot because you want to separate from them. You kill them. They're jogging on the streets. You attack and you kill them. I'm not talking just about Ahmaud Aubrey. You destroy every little thing that they create. This I'm talking about Tulsa. You police them. You imprison them. Imagine all of the ugly verbs and all of the ugly descriptions. It's not the black people that is doing this to the white people. It is the other way around. But yet, the white man is still afraid of the black man or the brown man or the brown woman and the black woman. All the ugly verbs on, on the planet you can find. They've done it to black people. And I'm not saying black people are not bad. They've done things. I'm pretty sure a lot of them learned very well. All these verbs that you, you do in destroying them. And black people are still willing to forgive and be equal. They're not asking for payback. Reparations is the only thing they're asking for. But yet you say, oh, they want free money. <laughs> when you made it for free, off of their backs. But you think that if they want you to compensate them for all of these years that you treated them bad, it's free money. <laughs> no, it's not. They're just willing to forgive you and ask for equal rights. But you call them slaves. <laughs> I don't think so. Black people were thought to believe that they need freedom from slavery. The real freedom has to come from the one that enslaved them. Take your finger off of them. Take your knee off of their necks. 
and watch them rise. They will heal. They will get mental help. They will get emotional help. And they will rise. Remove all of these barriers and just remove this system that is built against them. See what they do. The one that will not survive, I repeat, the one that will not survive is if this system is destroyed, is the one that created the system. And that's an irony. Because the black man will rise. There was a time when <laughs> we used to operate on an emotional universe. Thinking that white people created this and that's not happening. It's fading. It's fading. We were thinking this universe would survive because a white person created it. It's not. What's happening now is that the pain is being transferred from ancestor to ancestor and to the parents and to the grandparents and to these children that white people are giving birth to. The same people that tortured black and brown folks. Your children are carrying that emotional trauma. That trauma bond transfers to your generation. Black people's trauma does transfer through their generations as well. And they're willing to heal from it. Because a black man will not oppress another person. There is no indigenous people on this planet that I have seen that is actually on record. If it is, I will learn. I don't mind. But I don't know of an indigenous people that has oppressed others. There are little fights in between them. But that's different. More white people need therapy. More white people need to heal from trauma bonds. More white people need to spend time with their family, with their children, telling the truth about their history and asking for forgiveness. More white people need to talk about how they created this culture of thinking that black people are slow, they're dumb, they're stupid, but yet they are the ones that are scared of them. How can you be scared of somebody you say is slow and dumb and stupid? You must be the more, more stupid one. And they say that, you say that black people are culturally disadvantaged and they can survive. <laughs> but if you look in today's world, 2020, COVID, who is the one that's culturally disadvantaged? White people. And most of them can't even survive wearing a mask just to breathe. Doctors will wear them for hours and hours on end to save the same person's life who is refusing to wear a mask. I don't care if it's a conspiracy theory. You see the numbers of people dying. Only in America, 125,000 and counting. It is a simple responsibility for yourself and for others. But no, it is the black person who is inferior and needs help.
this, it's not going to work. <laughs> if this message makes you upset, then I'm right. If it does not make you upset, then you're not a slave. So, I say it again. The black man or the brown man. The black woman or the brown woman. No, any indigenous person does not need freedom from mental slavery or any kind of slavery. The white man needs freedom from mental slavery so that the black man, the brown man, the black woman, the brown woman, and the indigenous people can live freely on an earth that was made for all of them. There are good white folks out there who have some sense. But the few that don't are making the few that do look stupid. So I'll say it again for the third time. And I don't know how many times that has been, but to me it's the third. The white man who enslaved the black woman and the black man and the brown woman and the brown man is the one that needs freedom from mental slavery. All of this is made up. It is a system that has been created. And that system no longer works. We used to operate on an emotional universe where white people created everything. And that's fading. Because it was made on a false foundation. And it cannot stand. It's falling apart. All we need is that we tell the truth. We ask for forgiveness and we create reconciliation. And until that is done, the womb of the woman will keep creating humanity for the white man to destroy. I love America. I love this world. We need to fix it together. Thank you. everyone welcome to another episode of renew your spirit of excellence aka rise and i'm your host anze so today the topic is upsell yourself and who wants to talk about upselling themselves in a situation like this with the pandemic race craziness um people are losing their jobs families are in you know some serious mourning and Sickness, everybody's just, it's just like a serious chaos. So hear me out here. Upselling yourself in this kind of times, it's not the easiest thing to say to anyone and not even as easy to comprehend. But I'm going to start with a story. I remember when I uh, came to the United States, this was some 19 years ago, 20 years ago, I stopped counting. And um, I remember my first job was McDonald's. I didn't like it. I hated the smell of uh, the grease, the oil. I I just loved seeing people happy to come in and get food in a minute. And I think one of the kicker that I loved a lot because I love kids was just watching kids coming and 
and just enjoying you know the fun and having fun and eating chicken nuggets that usually was the highlight of my work every time I go to work but at some point I said I could do this but I want to do it in a better way and so I upgraded <laughs> my job to uh, being a waiter at the Olive Waitress at the Olive Garden I love the Olive Garden it was different from McDonald's because at McDonald's, I mostly just had to stay behind the counter. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. And then you give you a burger and then you leave. At the Olive Garden, I was a host. I got to welcome people. And then I was a server as well. And I would um, have conversations with people. So coming from Africa, um, my accent was much different now. I think I've assimilated a lot more. And so it's a little different. I had a chance to interact with people. So something we call breaking the ice. When you get to the table, hi everyone, how you doing? You kind of have a little banter, small talk. And then you get to know the people, know what they want, bring their food. And so in the course of, you know, them giving their order to you placing it, coming there, bringing water and all that stuff, you kind of get to know them or what they're doing. And um, at the time I was in Houston in uh, the medical center area where you had people from so many different parts of the world. Now, that was a beautiful thing because I didn't only meet Americans and I was new to the United States, but I met people that travel from different parts of the world to come eat. And it was Italian food, so a lot of people liked it, or I'll call it some form of Italian food. So the, the beautiful thing about my job was that I met a lot of people. But the challenging thing about my job was that I could tell that some people were... That's when I could clearly see shade. I'll go into the story of a lady who came one time. She ordered lasagna, and she got her lasagna really good. She ate that thing. She finished that bad boy and, like, literally didn't finish it. She ate up to three quarters of it. And then I was just coming to the table to check to see if she was, you know, they needed anything. And I started seeing her scrambling the, the stuff on the plate. And I was wondering what was going on, but I didn't say anything because I, I love to observe sometimes. So she called me over. I came in. She said she didn't like the lasagna. I'm like, what happened? She said it didn't taste good. She just didn't want it. She wanted her money back. I was like, okay. At that point, I understood what was going on. I just realized that trying to fight her or argue with her wasn't even my place. So I went to get the manager. Stephen was very funny. And so he came over, looked at her, and said, no, he was not. He could only refund it if the food was still either halfway gone but because it's more than halfway gone she literally ate almost half of it and more than half of it she put up a fight and created a commotion i'm like for food for real literally and by the time she walked out of that place she had created all kind and the manager would not barge he said no way i'm not giving you free food today and I think we'd had that over the t- over the days in the past where people would come and they would just do whatever and then they'll say. And there are people with real concerns. So you would find people would have real concerns. And when they mix it with people that do not have real concerns and they stage a concern, it sort of makes the people with real concern to be questioned, right? So that got me and that was quite a crazy day. And later on in the evening, we had a big table before. I'm telling the story. I hope I'll get somewhere with it. Before the close of day, uh, right as we were getting out of the busy period, a huge table showed up. And they were very strangely dressed, different from American. So I knew exactly what that looked like. I'm from West Africa. I come from a family where there is the um, royalty is... is um, 
Americans would see differently, but we consider it royalty. So I understand how the protocol works. And when I saw them, one of the guys approached um, my colleague with whom we were working on the same table because we had to share it and said, um, this is a, ch- a king of some country in, uh, in um, Asia. I'm not sure what it was. It's been such a long time. This was like almost 18 years ago, 19 years ago. But apparently he was a king from some country with his wife, um, some of the, the servants and family members because he was sick. So they had to come to the area for treatment. I said, great. Well, actually, he first mentioned it to the guy. The guy didn't care. He said, well, great. And so he was just throwing things randomly like every other guest, which that should be the case. But I understand the circumstances. We had a long day. Now, I um, realized what was going on and I started seeing them getting agitated and frustrated because of expecting treatment like they were in their country. And you are in another country. You should not be expecting people to treat you that way, but it would be nice, right? So I went over to the guy who spoke to my colleague and I said, what's going on? He explained it. I had already understood what was going on, but I wanted to hear it from him. And I said, who's the chief? Who's the wife? So he pointed it to me discreetly, of course. And I asked him, how do you greet the chief? And he told me it was a little bow. Now I wasn't going to get my cousin, my, um, my colleague to bow to that chief. I tried and it didn't work. So it was a little bow. And then you say what you have to say and then you address you know, the people accordingly. So I went over and as I was taking the order, I did that. And they were very pleased with the fact that I just went a little extra, even though that was not what I was feeling that day. I just thought maybe I should do it. I do it sometimes, but I'm, I, sometimes I just check out of it. And so the dinner went well, they were happy. Actually, before then I called my manager and I told him, Hey, we have a special family here and all that stuff. So he came and just greeted them, acknowledged them and left. And that and not that alone was just enough. We didn't even I didn't have to do all the bowing and everything else. But it was beautiful. So at the end, boy, you have no idea. Um working uh as a as a waitress, I had a lot of um debts, bills, and my bank account was at a negative at the time really badly negative so I was having all kinds of anxiety emotions it was too many things going on that I just thought you know what this is it I'm just gonna crack something is gonna happen to me and they'll find me on the streets this is it this is the end but I had to go to work at least I had a job right so when they left they were very grateful and the wife was shaking my hand actually the wife shook my hand and put $80 in it And then the other guy that I had talked to put $100 in my hand. So I was like, wait a minute. But the funny thing is that they understood the tipping system. So they put more tips on the table. So I went and asked my manager. I said, this is what happened. My manager said, well, if they put tips on the table for all of you to split, you're going to split that one. And then you're going to keep the 180 because they gave that to you specially because they left a note and all that stuff. So I said, great. Now... My bills then compared to my bills now are two different things. $180 could go a long way. Paid for my phone bill, cleared my negative in my bank account. The only thing that I noticed there was that I had upselled myself. I upsold myself. And I was in no position to even do that because what I was feeling was completely opposite to what I gave. Okay? 
So in this situation right now, how are you going to tell anybody who has lost their job, they have kids to feed, or their businesses are shut down, and they have a family to take care of, and the government is talking about sending their kids back to school and they're not sure of the risk, or somebody that has lost a loved one. It's not easy. And thinking about that is not easy. And the kind of work that I do in October, I had a situation, medical situation and, and an issue where I couldn't work. And so I decided to start learning new skills just in case um, if my health does not align with my job, then I could do something different, right? And so I got certified as a scrum master, which you pay a lot of money and fast forward maybe four months or six months from then, that time on, we had to take a voluntary leave of absence from involuntary leave of absence from work for 12 months, meaning I don't have, I have a job, but I can't work. And so now I have an opportunity to be able to look for work with the certification that I got. Anyway, I had been doing some scrum master work before and I understood what the system was and how, how that turns out. And so it was easy for me to be able to get a certification. And I realized that many times when we are in a situation where we're comfortable, we don't see an opportunity to upsell ourselves. And so we stay comfortable and we believe that that situation is going to last forever or for a long time. We don't look for other options. Nobody wants to hear anyone coming and talking about side, side gig what? Look, I have six businesses. I have you know, a good job, good benefits, a good salary. My family is good to go. Nobody ever thinks, hey, there could be a pandemic or hey, something could go wrong and you might need a backup plan, right? So this is one of those times when you don't want to hear that upselling yourself. What the hell does that even mean? How do you upsell yourself in a pandemic? I want to propose three things. Number one, the internet is booming right now with businesses. I was just doing some research. Like, if I'm not able to do Scrum Master or Fly, what else can I do, right? I realized that there are books out there. There was one book that I saw. It was um, uh, Small Businesses for Moms Who Are at Home and Not Working. Um, uh, how what there was another one that talked about um, uh, side gig secrets so there's so many books out there that you can find but then what I noticed also was um, there were people that were not making anything and just because they lost their jobs they were able to go online find something some are doing credit card uh, credit building businesses some are doing uh, t-shirt sales business on Amazon or wherever there are tons of things that you can do and even if you cannot do anything, there are ways that you can upsell yourself right now and not stay in that status quo. Now, my colleague has been used to his lifestyle where he doesn't know how to bow to anyone. Okay? And I get it. That's a culture. That's the status. You don't need to bow to anyone. You don't need to bow to somebody to get $180. I wasn't doing it because I needed money. I was doing it because I wanted to honor these people. And... And I honor everybody else that comes, but based on the circumstances, sometimes the honor is different. Like you, you would, the way you would talk to a, a little kid, 
is different from the way you would talk to an adult sometimes based on how you meet them. I'm saying upsell yourself today because these are trying times and it's easy to stay in that rut where something is wrong, obviously wrong. The economy is tripping us, I would use as the best word I can find for it right now. Um, unemployment rate is so high right now. Jobs are tanking every day. Businesses are closing every day. You may be one of them or maybe you've lost someone. I lost my aunt on July 4th and that's still devastating. But I think that um, one of the things that you can do for yourself is find a way to see beyond where you are right now. Because if you survive this pandemic and you survive this unemployment situation, you survive this job loss and all the list of things that are going on, you're still going to have to live and survive somehow. And I can guarantee you that um, the government doesn't have enough to help you. Celebrities support and donations, these are great, but these are not going to be help, able to help you. African children where you have a lot of foundations and foundations that go to Africa but there's still a lot more work that needs to be done at the level of um, leadership and at the level of the mind with the people within the continent so I'm just appealing to you to find ways and things in you that you can do better I wasn't trying to get $180 from these people. I was tired. I was frustrated. I was at an emotional high. I was at an anxiety high. But within that moment, I saw an opportunity to support someone or to respect and honor someone. And I decided to be different. It doesn't make my friend, my colleague, a bad person. It just means that he's who he is and he does what he does and life goes on, right? But upselling yourself at this point is saying, what can I do better than what I did before so that if another pandemic hits or if this pandemic continues, I can still survive. When our minds are focused and waiting for what's the government going to do? Where is the bailout check? Where is, you know... Even the people in the countries where the checks are bigger and it comes for months, you think that that's still enough? It's better. It's something that's very, very true. But they still need to find a way to stand out of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm just appealing to each and every individual that's listening to this right now that if you're not one that has lost your job, help somebody else to upsell themselves. It's a collective effort. And like Trevor Noel said, it's a social contract. We owe it to each other, to support each other. And I'll end by saying, um, nothing was given to us in this world to keep. Everything that we got was given to be given back. So if you were not gonna keep your business or your job or anything anyway, whatever you did to get it, do it again to get better. It's not gonna be easy. Find someone to bless, find someone to love, find someone to help, find someone to support regardless of how bad your situation is. And I guarantee you, it'll change. I hope and wish you the best. Stay safe. Thank you. And I'll 
I'll see you in another episode. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Renew Your Spirit of Excellence, aka RISE, and I'm your host Anze. Today's topic, Until the Abuser Heals, is one that hits home on um, current situation in the country or in the world. The rate of abuse has gone up really high. There's a lot of um, anger, racism, just stuff that's gooey. Looks like a whole one whole bowl of bitter soup. It's hard to swallow, but I believe we're gonna get through it. In the process of going through it, I wanted to just you know talk about the situation a little bit. You ever wonder why some people are in an abusive relationship and they cannot leave? It could be a man, a woman. Um, well, for children, some of them are helpless and they don't know what to say or they can't speak up, and that's harder. You ever seen a person in a relationship where they get the fact that they're being abused? They're physically, verbally, emotionally abused, but they can't leave, especially physically. We talk about a woman in a relationship who's being beaten all the time. And when she speaks up, nothing happens. Or she doesn't want to say anything. And uh, for fear of being ostracized or for fear of being hurt even more or killed by the abuser. And you know the situation. To some degree, you might call the police or call the authorities to come intervene. But if nothing is actually going on and they don't see any physical evidence of that abuse, there's nothing they can do about it, right? And it just irks you like, how can this just be? Somebody needs to do something and you're sitting there trying to worry about it. And there's so much that goes into that situation. The abuser is there and they know what they're doing. Granted, they're probably being tortured in their own minds. That's why, because they say hurt people hurt people, right? The abuser is inflicting pain into another person. And out of nowhere, that person finds the courage to leave the relationship. And they either say something or they walk away. And that abuser is left, right? And everybody goes to the person and saying, oh, I'm so sorry you went through this. And the person either chooses to go through therapy, healing, and they find the courage again to um, get into another relationship, right? And so everybody is applauding the person that has had the courage to get out of that relationship. But guess what? The abuser is still an abuser. And they may have had the courage to leave, but that abuser is still going to abuse somebody else. And they do. And the person leaves. And another one comes. And they do, and it becomes a cycle. Until that abuser gets healing from the reason why they're abusing and from the fact that they've abused someone or several people, they they will never be able to heal or you will never be able to protect somebody from them because they will show their good side and then eventually they lure you in and then eventually do what they do. 
So until the abuser heals, nothing is going to change. Now this brings me to the reason why I brought this topic up. Until the enslaver heals, there is no way black people are not going to be attacked. Because the person that attacks them, just like the abuser, is still out there. The abuser may have had kids with this person who had finally left the relationship and their kids will grow up to do exactly what they do until that child, if their child, their children grow up and know that their father was an abuser or their mother was an abuser and they heal from the circumstance, they will be an abuser. And so the cycle continues. And so we're seeing exactly the same thing. And I know that we've come a long way. But the conversation of black people healing is a very dire one because that's true. Black people need to heal from mental slavery or physical slavery and all the other stuff because they've inherited a lot of things that needs to be removed from their mind. Like literally just deleting that data and replacing it with another one but until the person that enslaved them acknowledges that they've done something wrong acknowledges that it's going to take a certain amount of work they will always feel uncomfortable when they're told that this is what they do no one is going to come and change that situation overnight no laws no rules laws are made by people and they're broken by people the system is created by people and it is being destroyed by people or it can be manipulated by people so regardless of how good black people take care of themselves no matter what they do the person that oppressed them is still an oppressor and there is a chance that they'll do it again and there are so many white people that have actually healed and they support a lot of black people and it could even be 80 20 80% of white people have actually found a way to say I disconnect myself from this ancestral lineage where my ancestors decided to lynch, kill, rape, uh, uh, hang, burn, all kinds of things you can imagine done to a human being, they've done to a group of people. And that follows me. So for that reason, I'm going to separate myself from that energy and heal from it so that I don't become the one that does it. Slavery just changes, the name changes, and the style changes, but it continues. In America, you would look at slavery from um, transatlantic slavery, slave trade, and all the way Jim Crow to redlining to where we are today. But every time that black people decided to do something to rise out of those ashes. (laughs) 
the one that enslaved them who has not healed comes right back up with something new and takes them right back to where they were. From Tulsa, Black Wall Street, after black people were freed and emancipated and they started rebuilding on their own. Guess who showed up? Black people didn't go looking for white people to kill. Black people didn't go looking for white people to burn their houses down. The same people that enslaved them had not healed. And so they decided to hurt their generation after. And who did it? The children from the ones that came later on. Because this didn't start yesterday. But we know that until the 1950s, this was still going on. If you look at the history of Africa, and I don't want to I don't want to go into a lot of other countries, Africa alone. Africa had a lot of empires, empire of Songhai, Mali, um, even um, Ghana where you can't even name them without just getting emotional. But all of these empires, kingdoms, was Africa perfect? Probably not. Did they have disagreements with each other? Absolutely, they're humans. But something happened. And that situation changed. Started in Africa, started leaving Africa to Britain, to the United States, to wherever else they took people from Africa to, destroying everything that they had guess what's happening today in Africa? Still paying colonial taxes to the colonial countries. And that's okay. I can guarantee you the people that did that in the 1800s are no longer alive. And who are they paying those taxes to? (laughs) Their children. And until their children realize that, hey, this is not right, which some are right now, which is great. I'm not going to call names, but I'm just speaking from a general perspective. Until they realize that this is inhumane, we got to allow Africa to do what they need to do to take care of themselves. Africa will remain a country that has been looted, raped, and destroyed in exchange for religion and infrastructure. Africa is left with poverty, disease, and whatever you. But that's not all what Africa has. It's a beautiful place. I love it. I'm from there, and I will go back and visit and, and live there anytime. But the hindsight of it is that regardless of what Africa does, someone from somewhere always comes in and it always has to be an unhealed seed of the enslaver an unhealed seed of the abuser that grows up and does what its parents used to do and nothing changes so until the white man heals the black person will always find them up up in their heels whether it's through police brutality or if it's through systemic racism or if it's through, um, you know, 
disrespecting them in their own country like the Chinese are doing right now or pillaging the country and them paying colonial taxes even though they know they shouldn't be. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying things like this, but hey, it needs to be said until the abuser heals. The victim will still be in trouble. And that, that victim can run away from one abuser and find it's themselves in the hands of another abuser. Because it's a pattern. So, I'm only going to leave this right here. If you're a white person, get uncomfortable. Because a conversation will never be comfortable. No abuser wants to hear what they have done to somebody. It's uncomfortable. No child of an abuser wants to hear what their parents did to somebody. It is uncomfortable. And they will not want to take responsibility until they're willing to heal. They will be uncomfortable and they will fight back and they will resist. And that's what we're facing today. If you see some people resisting, they want to keep what is called their legacy, which their ancestors did. Yes, I don't think black people are opposed to legacy keeping. Just keep your damn legacy and let us have our lives. It's that simple. But no, unfortunately, in some cases, most cases, keeping that legacy means black man has to work for it. And that's not true. That's a thought. It's just a thought. find it fascinating that black people would rise out of the ashes over and over and over and over again yet they keep telling them to rise up and bootstrap whatever that language is and they do (laughs) if you want to look at European imperialism I said it's left nothing but a shortage of net resources for Africa and the United States to be to be honest disease and death but what did it give to them wealth and luxury where did that wealth and luxury come from the sweat of somebody else and why is it so disproportionate because they think it's okay and the abuser doesn't see anything wrong with that picture Black folks from all parts of the world have been invaded, looted, robbed, kidnapped, chained, tortured, beaten, enslaved, raped, drowned, sold, hanged, burned alive. If you go to Belgium, especially in Belgium, the hands and feet cut off in front of their women and children. The women and children's hands and feet cut off. Women and children and men killed. And just ask for freedom and equality. And they protest. Just to get this. Peaceful protesting all the time. And they're met with violence. And then they say, you are the violent one. Of course you're going to find a couple of them that will be violent. But they usually are not. And after the protest, they get a little bit of slack. But no. The seed of the abuser comes back again. 
deranged in this regard them for humans and they scream at them push them spit on them frame them fight them lie about them imprison them destroy them police them kill them and still accuse them of being violent but you are the one perpetrating the violence and guess what still black people rise and all they ask is not revenge but equality and freedom to just live like a human being and guess what after a little protest a little gives but no now they make them to hate themselves hate each other call them dumb you're slow you're dumb you're stupid you're a drug dealer you're a thug your dad is a bad father they have bad dads they have bad moms bad leaders bad husbands bad everything bad 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 black is bad and so black people start hating themselves and they go look black on black crime is there white on white crime heck yeah is there asian on asian crime sure mexican latino 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 latina crime yeah mexicans fight each other too kill each other all the time i mean not all the time but Americans fight each other, they kill each other. Africans fight each other, they kill each other. British people fight each other and they kill each other. So why point a finger on black and black crimes all the time as if it's not it is a crime. It's different. When somebody is not committing a crime, but they feel like they are a crime and they have to die because of it. So this happens again. and then they still say no we're not going to let you go it's like let my people go moses moses is saying let my people go and fear is like nah the only economic opportunity that has been presented to african americans or african community is guns drugs sex and a little bit of giving These are things that are presenting to people who cannot afford it. African Americans cannot afford drugs. Especially when you re- you, you you let them out, off of slavery where they could barely even buy food for themselves. They can't afford guns. Yeah, sex is free, but they flaunt sex everywhere. And not anything like what they need, maybe education, healthcare, housing jobs maybe investment opportunities business opportunities land you know what about those things nah they don't deserve it right but no why can't african americans it's a free country there's no slavery there is no systemic racism nah why about what about all these other celebrities that make a lot of money and they free yeah they are but trust me they still feel the pain of oppression every time they get out of that house and some of them do not even have the education enough to be able to amass all that wealth and so they don't know what to do with it and they end up losing it and they're back in the streets again they deserve better every time every time the one that is abused finds healing and a little step forward they 
because the abuser doesn't heal. The abuser comes right back, or their seed comes back and still chases the person that they've been abusing. Unfortunately, nothing is going to change until we all get together on the table and say, hey, listen, here is what it is. This is what's going on. As hard as that might be to come by, it is a possibility. And until we do it, we're going to keep fighting like we are today. Unfortunately, that's the truth. So, if you know an abuser, while they're trying to find another relationship, tell them, please get some healing. Because I've seen one too many abusers that are still in relationships where their victim doesn't know how to leave but they have children and these children grow up doing exactly what the abuser is doing because that's what they've watched and that's what they know and until the abuser heals we'll continue this cycle of insanity and craziness Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Renew Your Spirit of Excellence, aka Rise. I'm your host, Anze. So, today we will talk about a topic I will call learned helplessness. Who wants to learn how to be helpless? No one. But here's the gist. Funny thing is, a lot of times we learn how to be helpless and we don't know that we're doing that. There is a story about this elephant who was tied to a tree by its owner. And as far as the rope on the leg of that elephant goes, that's how far the elephant could get. The owner drew a circle around that tree of how far the elephant could go so it could mark the area. And every time the elephant tried to walk away, it felt a tug and so it stayed. And it became so used to that in such a way that it created its own home just around that environment. Now, the kicker is The tree is so small that the elephant is actually much stronger than that tree. If it made a little more effort, it would bring that tree down. But the elephant didn't want to fight, I guess. So it designed its lifestyle around that environment where the rope could go. So at some point, a long time after that, the owner decided to cut off the rope from the tree. Guess what? The elephant stayed there for a long, long time. Never moved. It just knew that that's as far as it could go. And it never tried to move any further out of there. Um, given the circumstances of what we're, we, we, we're dealing with today, even before the pandemic, do you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you're too comfortable but you wish that you could change, but you don't want to because you know that 
the fear of moving from that place where you are to someplace new is actually more crippling for you than the fear of failing if you try. I remember one time when um, I had lost my job and I was about to start a business. It was an exciting thought. It was fun. Starting a business? Oh my God. And I didn't know anything about starting a business. I just thought the idea of saying that I own a business on the fancy. So I'll just talk about it and yay, business will come out of nowhere. So I didn't know that one of the key things to a business is basically having something that people want, solving a problem, right? And then the other key thing is marketing, being able to bring this business to the people that need it and convincing them to be able to get it, not really convincing them, encouraging them to get it. So I didn't know how to just do all of that stuff. So I started out of nowhere and I was learning as I, as I went along. And the challenges kept coming, the challenges kept coming, and I would fail and get up, fail and get up. At some point, I got so used to failing that when I had learned so much and I knew what I needed to do to get to the next step, I remained helpless. I stayed failing. And I didn't know how to even comprehend that. It, it wasn't even a thought to me. It just felt natural because, oh yeah, I'm used to this. You know, I tried and then it works a little bit and then a lot of it doesn't work. <laughs> it was complicated to explain, but it's like you're in poverty. You're used to struggling. You're used to trying so hard, you know, making ends meet, working from paycheck to paycheck. And then you kind of lose everything. You stay in that helpless position because you're used to it. And when an opportunity comes, even before you lose everything, an opportunity comes for you to move forward. You're so used to that paycheck to paycheck lifestyle that you feel like if you even try anything else, you're going to lose what you have right now. If I just leave this job, oh my God, this is a flight attendant job. I travel everywhere in the world. Are you kidding me? The benefits are great. And what, you you make about 60,000 or 70,000 a year? That's awesome. Who wants to live a job like that? And then right in front of you, (laughs) there is an opportunity that can make you $500,000 a year in six months worry about the fact that what if it fails and then you end up losing both so you settle you're learning how to be helpless to just be where you are and just be comfortable with the situation that you have regardless of how much the struggle is I remember one time we had a visitor when I was in Cameroon visitor came from the village and uh, we lived in the city and so the visitor is used to you know spreading a mat on the floor and sleeping on the floor and we had a bed in the guest room for them to sleep on but they refused to sleep on the bed (laughs) so it's funny because when we got up in the morning the bed was there and the person was laying on the floor on the blanket and we're like what what's going on 
So he said he was just used to sleeping on the floor. <laughs> you know what? Great. If that's what they wanted, that's fine. I don't know if he tried the bed and it was a little bit uncomfortable for him and so maybe he thought the bed was going to swallow him at night or something. I don't have any idea. But I was so young and the the, the thought just kind of intrigued me in such a way that I thought, how could somebody have more and they settle for less because they're used to the less? That doesn't make sense. So we do this a lot in our situations where you're in a job, right? work in a cubicle and used to it and somebody tells you move to the other cubicle why i'm so settled in here i have my pictures everything is just a line and i'm used to it it's right next to the fountain and the bathroom is not that far but the difference is that the next cubicle that you're supposed to move to is slightly bigger and you have an opportunity to be next to the manager's office there could be something or an opportunity that could come from there and it's, it's just a better option choose to stay where you are that's one example there are plenty of examples that we see that we learn how to be helpless and we can't get out of it because we're so used to it like a chant that I feel like it's counterproductive to the concern when I hear um, after Black Lives Matter what's the there's a word that says I can't breathe and I'm saying that sounds like an affirmation. When you keep saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, you're telling yourself and your mind, your subconscious and your cells and your nerves that you can't breathe. Well, guess what's going to happen? You're going to attract that. So should you change and say, I want to breathe? Yeah. Let me breathe. Let me breathe. That might be something different. But we learned how to be helpless. And we stay in the helpless situation. And we point fingers and it's this one's fault and it's that one's fault. As long as we remain in that situation where our minds have learned to remain helpless, we're never going to move. We're never going to move. What is that one thing that can break that cycle of learned helplessness? Accepting failure, accepting that it might go wrong and you might lose everything. That factor of just saying, you know what? I'm going to put all my cards on the table. I'd rather lose everything right now. And that alone gives you courage to know that you take a chance. And until you take that chance, first time you learn how to drive, what was the risk? I could run this car into a freaking tree. (laughs) The chances that you will hit that car or that you will get into an accident were way bigger than the chances that you could drive properly. But guess what? You took the chance, right? You didn't stay helpless and say, no, I'm not going to drive because I don't think I can do it. Oh, I run into a store. I was like one inch from the glass. (laughs) So the car was right there, and I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. But after that, I was scared of driving on the freeway. I've never seen a freeway. I'm from West Africa. Not, I mean, we don't have a lot of those kinds of roads there, so some maybe in the bigger cities. But when I took the car on the freeway, 
as soon as I got into the freeway, I started seeing all kinds of things and the cars were going so fast that fortunately it was not a time when I, I literally had to like, cause we were on the last lane. So I ran the car into the ramp, but now I can get into a speed race. How? I had to break that cycle of having to take the bus all the time and learning to be helpless with not being able to drive. So we learn how to be helpless and we don't know that we're learning how to be helpless. And until we decide to say, I will be uncomfortable and break that cycle, we will remain helpless. And in our helplessness, we would think it is a place of glory. That can still be a good thing, you know? Could still be a good thing. But think about it. All right. Um, so I'm just saying in this case that our pain becomes too familiar, that it's harder to adapt to new standards. And so we subconsciously or consciously reverse back to that pain. If I freaked out and I hit the car and the ramp and then I said, okay, that's it. I'm not driving anymore. (laughs) I won't be able to drive. So I've learned to just stay where I am, right? So again, like I said, think about it. What is it that's in your life that you're feeling helpless about and that you've settled with? Are you living in a junky area and you don't like to clean and you're used to a mess and you're like, I like my mess, you know very well that if somebody cleans that place up, you'll be happy, but you messed all up again because you're used to being helpless to clean up for yourself. Or are you used to hanging around friends that you're afraid to jump from that circle into a higher circle of influence and you're worried that if you do, your friends will get mad and they'll laugh at you and you don't want to lose them, you will. Let me just break it down to you. Whether you stay there or you don't, you will. So you learn to stay helpless in a situation where you know these friends always get me in trouble. I am always in trouble. I'm always in a situation where it's on just not what I want. But I deal with it. Oh, it's okay. We've been friends for a long time. And you say it with pride. I'm sorry I'm sounding a little bit mean, but it's it's one of those little things, like little nuances that come in between, you know, situations in life that we miss. And it, it can build tension in you that can come out the wrong way. So what are some of the things in your life that you feel you're settling for or you're used to it and you feel helpless in and you don't want to move away from are you somebody who doesn't know how to communicate and all you say is I am terrible at communicating (laughs) I had a friend tell me that once and I challenged him I'm terrible at communicating and you go well that's it that's your excuse and that's what you're going by and so if anybody says anything and calls you out like I'm sorry I'm just terrible at communicating that's it you, you learn to stay helpless with communicating instead of saying, hey, thank you for challenging me to be a better communicator. Right? There's so many things that are tiny little things that we don't notice. I'm 
so bad at technology. I don't know how to manipulate my phone. But one difference between you and knowing how to get some basic technology is YouTube. Watch a video. You know? So I'm just going to talk about this in a way that it's very small, but it can make a huge change in your relationship. I'm so used to my relationship being so mundane and we go in and out and it's all what you call a missionary whatever. And it's it's just monotonous. And you feel helpless. But you're so used to it that you don't even want to make an effort to change it. But it's always the other person's fault. Why are they not doing this this way? Why are they not doing that that way? But you're not thinking that wait a minute. Maybe I could change something in myself and that might help this situation. You learn to cope with the situation and you choose not to change it. And so you become so used to it that you rather get annoyed by it than get frightened by the idea that it could possibly be better. Right? I'm just trying to come up with ideas. I'm really not doing this podcast with any notes or anything. I just kind of think about these ideas and I, I share them with you and hopefully it will make a difference and you help somebody that's listening. Are you in a situation where you're helpless and you've learned how to remain helpless in that situation and you can't get out? Think about it. Look at the different areas in your life, especially in your relationships, your personal relationships, your business relationships, your friendships, family, all those situations can be very mundane and you've learned to cope with it as it is without creating anything fun or different that can, you know, spike it up. Well, have a fantastic weekend or day or week whenever you listen to this message and thank you for tuning in. Until then... I'll catch you in the next episode. Have a good one. And remember, renew your spirit of excellence. Do not stay helpless.